Welcome back to Black Women Voices. Just a small disclaimer that you may hear background noises due to another session going on during the recording of this podcast episode here in Nashville, Tennessee at ACPA 2020. All right, welcome back to Black Women Voices. We are here in Nashville, Tennessee at ACPA, and we are gathered with a group of beautiful black women to talk about black women in the glass ceiling. So welcome to the show. How are you all? Good, good, good. <laughs> all right, so this is a special edition of Black Women Voices as we are at a conference um, here today. And so we want to talk about this concept of how we show up, um, especially as it relates to the glass ceiling and what that means for us in higher education. So I guess our first question is, what does the glass ceiling mean to you as a black woman where you are in your profession? I almost thought of, I don't necessarily think about it as glass, it's more of concrete. Mm. Um, glass indicates that you can see what's happening at right. the top. Mm. And I often feel like I kind of know that there's another step above this, but I don't know what that looks like or what that means. Um, and so how can you really go after something that you don't even know what it is? And you can ask people, but you know. That's a whole probably a whole other podcast, right? <laughs> but yeah, I just think about it more as like concrete and me concrete. constantly trying to chip away, trying to get a little tiny hole to be able to see. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like if I could be able to see where I'm going, I could get there. Mm. I just need a picture though. Mm. That's dope. What came? This is gonna sound weird. What came to mind for me was. So you know how like in Alice in Wonderland, there was like the glass mirror and you think like you're going into something that's like potentially magical. But when you get there, it's like weird, at, you know, just, just like hor- not horrible, but it's just like weird. Like mm-hmm. she goes into like, what is it? Not Neverland, but I guess Wonderland. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's the way I feel with the glass ceiling. Like at first, you know, I was thinking like it's a limitation, but sometimes I think it's like a dream in the sense of. I mean, I want to advance. I think we all want to advance. We want to make coins. But I think there's a perception of what that looks like. But then when you get there, if you if we even get there, or sometimes if we're allowed to get there, there's still, like, ways in which you have to kind of, like, perform or navigate or you get to this other side and it's, like, crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's where, for me, I think about that, you know, I'm in mid-level right now. Of course, I would love to advance and, you know, thinking about going beyond the glass ceiling. When I hear about narratives of, you know, like there's research of all these senior level administrators and black women and being, you know, the chocolate chip in the milk. And I'm like, I don't want those type of problems. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want high blood pressure, cholesterol, my marriage ending. Like, I'm, you know, mm. I don't want that. I think like there's this this world that we're not going to experience in the same way as other groups. I I sometimes feel like it's like the Alice in Wonderland. Like, it could seem like we've made it, but, like, nah. (laughs) And I think in both of these examples, so if we're talking about, like, once again, the the cement ceiling is who's pouring the cement back on. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, we're chipping away at the bottom, but we have non-black POC, we have white women, we have men of all races, pouring more cement on to keep us beneath. Mm -hmm. And then, in this Wonderland example, for us to break out of that, we have to leave almost our whole community behind. Mm -hmm. Because when you look at the people that we're naming as like the greats within black women, it's it's almost a sacrifice of like, I can't carry my community with me because I have to sacrifice pieces of myself to get up there. 
And I think it's so, like, almost theoretical to, like, our nature of, like I said before, like, we are a community. Mm -hmm. And, like, I cannot cannot move forward i cannot chip away at the at the cement ceiling if i'm not bringing other black women with me yeah. i, I want to bring and i was talking to my co-host about this last night we had a speaker who came to campus and she i mean it it got me thinking differently and she talked about the mammification of black women in mm-hmm. higher education mm-hmm. and and really how um, there are glass ceiling. I mean, the, the glass ceiling is if you work well with these students and you can control your students, mm-hmm. then why would I want you in other mm-hmm. echelons? Why would I move you around, mm-hmm. right? Because I need you here. I, I, I literally need you here in this space, right? And <clears throat> so if you're, if you're not the, the mammies of the student affairs professionals especially, mm. then you are the sapphire, right, mm. of the faculty, the angry black woman that has to push from a different um, perspective. Mm. And how we embody those um, caricatures of black womanhood in, our, in the work that we do and how that creates a glass ceiling, right? Because you would have to leave your community behind in order to embrace, right? I, you know, how many black women go past childbearing years because they maybe have wanted kids, but they're taking care of somebody else's kids, mm-hmm. right? Or they may have wanted to have a relationship, but they didn't leave space or room or time for that. They didn't leave space and room for the healing so that they could be ready for the relationship that they wanted. You know what I mean? And so I think that that's a real conversation in terms of the glass ceiling that we don't have in the academy. Mm-hmm. I also think of like, so in terms of glass, I feel like everyone has the same experience and that's not the case for us. Mm-hmm. It's very much dependent on our environment. Yes. So I think of it as kind of like a kaleidoscope. So depending mm-hmm. on the view that we have based on the environment that we're in, the, um, the capital that we have or the people that surround us, including the amount of black women that surround us, mm-hmm. will have a different view of that ceiling um, and it'll change based on the environment and the context that we have. And unfortunately, like how close we feel like we are to the ceiling will depend on that. Mm-hmm. How do you think that plays a role in black women helping other black women? Mm. We're gonna have this conversation. We're gonna have this conversation. And I say something to my spirit. And I'm gonna say this before you before you you say what you're gonna say. I say this because I am a. I say when I'm climbing, I'm lift. I'm um, as I'm climbing, I'm lifting people with me, and especially black women. And when things come up, I'm like, all right, sis, you ready? And they're like, oh, you really meant that? Yes! And I have to remember that my experiences haven't been the same as theirs, and so there's some black women in their lives that have not lifted them as they climb. And so I'm like, what does that look like, and what does that mean for us to, one, say it but not do it? And then when someone comes and says it and actually does it, and you're not ready. I'm not how sure this is. It's just a little little me theory that I have. But I think it's a direct byproduct of capitalism and individualism mm-hmm. like we have been put into this environment where that those are the values right and 
we are at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So of course nobody wants to be at the bottom of the bottom. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're not doing that. But I was just I've been having this conversation for like years I feel like I don't have a black woman mentor in the field because every time I get close to having that experience or for it working out, they switch on me. Mm-hmm. And it makes me I look at the glass ceiling as like the terminal degree or like the end all be all or like whatever that end goal is, right? To be able to advance further. I have been very turned away from getting a terminal degree because of the attitude and perception of black women with that title. Mm. Yes. Wow. Well, yeah, because if there could only be one, then you're effectively <coughs> you're moving in the ladder. And I look at mentorship as Excuse something me. so sacred. Yeah. I have, I've had two people in my life ask me to be their mentor, and I value them dearly because I'm like, first of all, I don't know what. What can I do to help you? But they saw something that I could do, and, and it's been a very positive relationship. But when you come to me, like, well, I'm going to mentor you, and I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to da-da-da-da-da, but then when I really need you, like, like, when, when things really hit the fan and I really need you and you're not there, but when we're in spaces like this and you're like, oh, yeah, this is my mentee. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Like, what does that, that mean? I feel that. <laughs> what is that? Really? I, I think that's a, really, like a, that's a level of sabotage. Yeah. Right? Like, that happens in the field that, it, that it's so... Like I've experienced it so much yeah. that I was even I was just like you know what mm-hmm. I'm no. cool mm-hmm. right like and so <laughs> I think my way to handle or even maneuver that is uh, I reach out so much people who were in the like in grad programs the same time as me mm-hmm. we literally were like okay we, did. we know <laughs> these people up here ain't gonna help us yeah. but how can we help each other and I think yeah. that it's I think it's so interesting because I think it's after we did that to see how that has trickled down Mm -hmm. is really interesting because I think that I think it's funny because all of us talk about that same type of sabotage if you talk to the same we came all all came out in that same two years and it's like the people who are like oh yeah like I've been knowing her forever she's gonna be great but also won't respond to your phone calls Mm -hmm. won't won't respond to your emails has told people personal things about you because you thought they were that safe person for you Mm -hmm. and so to be in a space like this and then have people know personal stories about you who don't know you. Mm. Right? Like, and so that how part. do you maneuver personal sabotage at that point? Um, it's coming from the person who, right, like looks like you, said they were down for you and yeah. all these other things. You have a conversation, to be honest. I mean, because so from an administrator's standpoint, you know, all I do is mentor, right? I sit in my office and when I come in and I go to check all these emails I have, all of the black students that come in and work in my office, they come in. I have my grad student, she didn't told me, that's my chair. If somebody sits in that chair, she tells them to get out. <laughs> right? And so we are, kind of, and this is not everybody. It sounds like y'all have some kind of trifling people but you know <laughs> it is what it is right because everybody wants to be a mentor but not everybody knows what that means huh. okay yeah. and so to sit and to sit because we all need to be we need to be somebody we not exactly. right and true mentoring takes time and it takes exactly. effort and I t- somebody came in was like you're my mentor and I was like no I'm not and, not <laughs> and I have to decide that I want to mentor yeah, you right. yeah now right. it's not that you have to flip and do tricks and stuff like that but until I decide 
I'm not your mentor, yeah. right? Especially yeah. since I have to mentor all these people that work for me. Right. Like that is part of what I that yeah. as my job. Yeah. And so sometimes that is taxing too, right. right? Because you are giving and you have all this energy, and then you got to give to all the other people in the university. But you know, and so I think there's a give and take, and I and I think that. You know, that's a conversation, though, right? So if somebody's doing that, that is the point where you need to say, okay, so let we just need to just have this conversation real quick mm-hmm. so that you can move on and bow out, right? Yeah. I yeah. would have a conversation. And, and then there's this whole concept of there's a difference between mentorship <clears throat> Coaching yes. and sponsorship, yes. yes, and not everybody can be all that of was those. An episode, and there are very mm-hmm. few that can be all three of those. Yes, mm-hmm. and so, and I talk about that a lot because mentorship is very near and dear to me. Um, and so when people ask, you know, could you be my mentor? And I'm like, you don't want those problems <laughs> because my mentees have to go through a 21 day process with me because it becomes an investment for me and them. So I want to make sure in the 21 days, if you can create this habit, then I'm willing to give this investment to you. And I'm with you till the wheels fall off. Um, and I've been, so I mentor a lot of different um, people from students, undergrad, grad, professionals, seasoned professionals, etc. And I find that sometimes they want a mentor, but what they really need is a coach. Yeah. Or they really need someone that's a sponsor. And so I always get, you know, you're traveling a lot, you're doing this and this and this. I believe that my purpose in life is to be a connector for those yeah. individuals that I'm connected to. So I'm willing to to go through the waters to get to point A or point C so that when I come back and you say, I need this, oh, well, I've already been there. Let me connect you with someone else. Mm-hmm. But that's me, and I know I can't do it alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I always try to instill in my mentees that um, someone, someone, we did a... Um, a session at work and one of the ladies she said you know you can teach people what you know um but you produce who you are mm-hmm. and I was like wow mm-hmm. I can only teach you what I know but who you become is who I am mm-hmm. you know my characteristics become some of your characteristics yeah. and so when you talk about mentorship especially of black women I don't have a mentor I have a million mentees, but I don't have a mentor because of that. And mm-hmm. I believe it's a two-way street, and I'll give, and I don't get back. Yeah. You know how I got a mentor, to be honest? Because I, I did, I asked somebody, I was like, why nobody want to mentor me? And my old boss, she never did. She was like, because you got, like, way more experience than them. They're not going to mentor you mm-hmm. because you have, you have mm-hmm. beyond. Mm-hmm. So NASPA... <clears throat> had through their WISA Women in Student Affairs, mm-hmm. I think WISA, through that group, they had a 360 uh, mentorship program. And my, ment- my mentor in that program was a Jewish woman. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you she set my path straight, mm-hmm. she did, right? Because I also think that we can't just look for our own to be our mentors, right? Yeah. right? And when I met with her, we would meet once a month. It was a structured program. We would meet once a month via Zoom. She was in the UC um, California University of California system and I mean we, we touched on everything from finances and what I should be doing to being in the academy as a woman to be I mean just everything and I needed that to to set me on a course and once that mentorship period was over 
it was done, mm-hmm. right? It's not like I, and I didn't need her to mentor me forever. She gave me what she had and what I needed to have, and that program was really, really good for me. Um, outside of that, I, I look, I don't, I think that mentorship it looks different as Dr. K. It doesn't have to always be lifelong. She's a great lifelong mentor, right? But it could be that you know I have mentees that turned into colleagues, mm-hmm. that turned into really good sister friends, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, prayer partners, whatever mm-hmm. I may need. That's who they are for me, yeah. you know. So I think that that also makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one thing, too, when it comes to mentorship is it doesn't always have to be, there doesn't always have to be a title associated with it. Right, yes. So for me, I seek mentorship all the time. Uh-huh. I might not call you my mentor, but mm-hmm. I'm coming to, because I know that I know that this is what I'm thinking or this is what I need help with. And I know for a fact that this person can give me the jewels and the gems that I need in order for me to you know, make better decisions or sound decisions. And so I think, too, just in general, not really black women, but I think just in general, we get caught up and hung up on the titles of people because Mm -hmm. then titles become, um, there's an attachment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, in higher ed, I don't think we need to be attached to everything and everybody. (laughs) But we can definitely still seek out mentorship in whatever realm. I might... I might only seek mentorship from you for this day because it's the only day I'm going to see her. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's still a form of mentorship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right. So we're coming to an end. Uh, <laughs> we can do this all day. Right. We can do this in the next space and keep yeah. going. So as we close, um, I want to ask this question of how does vulnerability show up for you in the workplace? I think I struggle even answering this as I'm the first one to jump in and talk. (laughs) It's been really salient in my graduate school experience because I have had vulnerability demanded from me by my cohort, by people that work in my department in a very white women context of I need you to be emotional right now. I need you to tell me your deepest, darkest truths and secrets right now. because in my experience, that's how white women tend to show up when we're talking about vulnerability. But for me, me even just sitting at the table and saying, you know what, this is what I'm experiencing as a black woman and I need y'all to do something about it because I'm tired of it, to my peers and my cohort, to me that's vulnerability. Right. And so I often think of like, if I'm naming my truth, like we often talk about like the fearless black woman, I do this because of fear. Like, I am not fearless because I think that's dehumanizing to say that I, I am without fear. I do this because of fear, because I am fearful for the black women that are coming next. Mm-hmm. I'm fearful that I'm going to become another story of black women who have, you know, become, not have become failures, but have failed because of the systems that we're in. Mm-hmm. And so I think vulnerability, I think we've yet to explore what that looks like in black womanhood. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it starts with that, like, naming your truth. Mm-hmm. I think for me it comes up, especially because I supervise two black women. Mm-hmm. Um, so vulnerability for me is saying, I'm not okay today. Right. And I'm about to go. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, because I think, especially for me, I know that there are two brand new professionals looking at me to understand, right, like how they're supposed to exist in a space. That's right. And so I think for me to be like, okay, right, like, we all just came off orientation. We should be at home. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, that's right. And, and I, it's funny because my, the first black woman supervisor I had always said, like, you are not a slave. Go home. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think the first time mm-hmm. she said that to me, 
was mind-blowing, right? Like, because, right, coming, I've been at PWIs my whole life, and, right, like, you come with that slave mentality because they want you to give and give and give and give and give. Yeah. And she was the first person that said, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, that is literally the basis of how I exist for them, how I show up for them, and being able to say, right, like, when you're done, you're done. Yeah. Right, like, yeah. when you need to go, you need to go. Mm-hmm. Right, like... Don't do not send me that email at eight o'clock at night, yeah. right? And and it's funny because I can see them working through a whole new shift for perspective at that mm-hmm. point. Um, and I think that I I have to be vulnerable because I I think that if I don't, they won't, yeah. right? Like and I and I know what it's like to come into your first job and want to give your entire self mm-hmm. and then burn out, yeah. And then you're like. I don't want to do this anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so how do I show up, not only for myself, right? Like, but also show up for the people who I know are watching me, yeah. right? Like my black my black women students from Milwaukee who thought they would never see a hood person who wears Jordans to work, mm-hmm. right? Like in a position like mine. Right. And so I, I think it's being okay with being exactly who I am. Yeah. And that is the most vulnerable thing I have ever experienced. Um, and it's right, like in the context of being at a Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. So I want to thank you all. We want to thank you all for yes. this opportunity to share some of your stories and just um, talk about this concept of Black women in the glass ceiling, being looking at glass versus concrete, um, thinking about Alice in Wonderland, being a dream, um, this idea of mentorship, um, and just Black women and just being in the community. So thank you. Thank you so much for your voices. Thank you for tuning in to this special edition of Black Women Voices here in Nashville, Tennessee at ACPA 2020. Be sure to check us out at NASPA 2020 in Austin, Texas for another live.